welcome to Embrace the Madness. I'm your host, Madeline, and we're back with another episode. I'm sure you've been waiting, 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 waiting. I've been kind of waiting, waiting too. And it's been an interesting, interesting, I guess, adventure getting back into podcasting. And I've shared a little bit here and there, but I really plan to go deeper into it, maybe in another episode just like talking about my recent experience and feeling really heavy resistance and getting back into the podcast and all of that stuff. But I definitely wanted to start getting some interviews back because I know how wonderful they are and I love how much wisdom comes through, through these conversations that I have with my friends. And I know that you get a lot out of it as well. And so here we are. Actually, I'm super excited to bring this episode to you. It's a little bit lengthier, which it depends on what you're looking for, but I always love the long ones because then I can just like really get into it and just take a big chunk and yeah, get a lot out of it. So I really hope you love this episode. I got to sit down and talk to my friend Louisa. She went to high school with me for a little bit and you'll hear us talk about it. Yeah, she's always been super inspiring and it's just been amazing to watch her strength, her humor, and just her all-around awesomeness. So I'm really excited for you to hear her story. I think it was something that I had always known about, but I didn't really I hadn't heard it from her, from her words, from her perspective, from her heart, you know, and so we really get into her journey with cystic fibrosis and we actually get into a lot of stuff, which is exciting. And I felt like she was the perfect guest to interview for the podcast just because we're kind of experiencing similar things and themes in our life, dealing with shame understanding what our identity is, understanding what our identity isn't, figuring out how to release expectations for ourselves, practicing gratitude, all of these different things in one conversation. So I'm really excited for y'all to hear it. And it's actually also Louisa's birthday today. So happy birthday to Louisa and Yes, it's lovely. I'm excited. I'm excited to get back into podcasting and come out of hiding. So I did also want to make a quick note that some of the audio got a little kind of staticky. I think just because my interview process hasn't really been super refined. I think the microphones might have been turned up a little loud because they weren't picking up our audio and so some of it was a little uneditable but it's definitely listenable and it's definitely not completely like annoying well I mean it just it just depends on where your threshold is honestly but I tried to EQ some of it out and some of it was just not really not really happening, but I did want to let you know just in case. It's kind of like towards 
the last half of the episode. But yeah, I mean, if you've listened, you know that usually the quality of these podcasts are good and nothing really like that. So bear with us. Just yeah, it, it's it's really not bad. I just wanted to give you like a like a heads up and so give it a listen. Let me know what you think. You can screenshot and post on Instagram and tag at Embrace the Madness Podcast. I want to know what you think. I want to know how you like the episode. I look forward to hearing from you and we will see you later. Bye. Okay, so this is Madeline with Embrace the Madness. I'm back with an interview and I have my great friend Louisa here. I'm super excited that she agreed to come onto the podcast. We were, I guess, you went to IC high school for a couple years. For like not even one year. <laughs> I went and then I left. But yeah, we met then and then you had known Aaron, our good friend. And we kind of were friends. I'm pretty sure he, I'm pretty sure I very first met you at the Greek Festival. Was that you know on the what? sidewalk? Oh my gosh, you're so right. We did meet at Greek Festival. I think that was the first time we met. I wonder if it was through IC or through I think it Aaron? would have been through, for some reason I want to say it's through Mackenzie. Sure, that makes sense. I feel like it was from through Mackenzie. Shout out Mackenzie. Yeah, shout out to Mackenzie if you're listening. She's a loyal listener. <laughs> all right, so we can't talk about Mackenzie on the podcast. We can only talk about Mackenzie. Okay, we're only talking about Mackenzie and all of the good things that she's ever done. Yes. But yeah, I'm super stoked to have Louisa here. I'm excited to hear her story and how she's been, <laughs> we've been joking, living the dream, living her life. And yeah, I feel like I've, known you and we've been friends but I haven't really gotten to like dive deep with you and like hear the nitty-gritty and like the shitty nitty-gritty and you know all that stuff and Louise has been really inspiring over the years and I feel like we were friends and then we kind of you know drifted apart as friends and adults do as they are becoming you know adults and all those things but it's been really cool and inspiring to see her posts on the internet and just find beauty in life, even though it may not be giving you lemons or wands, margaritas or <laughs> things like that. So she's a beautiful writer. She's a beautiful human. And I'm super happy to have her here. Well, thank you for the such the beautiful introduction. Um, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad that you, that you invited me to, to come talk and I think this is my second podcast that I've ever like recorded with a friend. Oh, shit, you've done one before? I have. Hell yeah. I did. Um, so it was what, like a year ago. One of my really good friends is, um, from, from work. He has a podcast uh, where he talks with other people with uh, rare diseases because he, he has spinal muscular atrophy. atrophy. And so he invited me to come on on board and to talk about cystic fibrosis and an SMA and so and kind of look at the the overlap between the two and um, I was very nervous that day it's yeah. it was really funny because Kevin is one of the people I talk with the most and I like tell him all my deep secrets and I will talk for hours with him and then I got to the podcast and I was like 
I have no idea what to say anymore. I'm just going to be quiet. <laughs> it's so weird that, like, a microphone can do that. Like, ordinarily, like, if we weren't holding a microphone, it'd just be, like, me and you talking or you and Kevin talking. But it's, like, you put the microphone and it's, like... All of a sudden, you have yeah. all this pressure. You're like, I have to say the smartest thing <laughs> and the most eloquent thing right now. Otherwise, right. this is all a sham. Right, right. <laughs> and I don't think that on it, like, I don't, I don't have those like, expectations, like, at a conscious level. But it's, like, it's there. Like, this underlying, like, I'm scared. I don't know what to say Well, it's anymore. like if no one's ever heard me talk, this could be the very first impression. And if I sound dumb, they're going to never want to talk to me again. <laughs> exactly like in my head I keep telling myself like nobody's gonna listen to these podcasts and it's a weird realization to be like oh my god people who I don't know are listening to me talk and like that also goes for like my the things that I write on the internet people who I don't know read my things and that is a bizarre feeling it's a bizarre feeling but I also know that some people will reach out and say hey like that really helped me like that little thing that you wrote on the internet and um I guess that makes it worth it, uh, even if I, like, make gaps on this podcast or any podcast or anything that I've written online, which I'm sure I've made some dumb mistakes, so. But I feel like the vulnerability and the authenticity is, I think, probably what truly, like, helps them in that moment. Like, hey, you were vulnerable and you showed me it's okay for me to be, too. Right. Just to be, to be open with with the experiences that I've had and to to share that without without shame or you know or to like carry that shame and just say hey I'm going to like share this anyways because it's a part of my story like this is a part of who I am I just had a vision of like a purse and you're like this is my shame I love it <laughs> <laughs> lately but you're so right like, right it's like I have all of this shame and I feel so insane this way about it but you know what I think it's easier for me and I learned or I relearned that this morning was like um it's okay to share all of this stuff because it's a part of who I am and like I don't know how to operate any other way right um before this you know this morning I had all of those encounters with folks who just had like vulnerable conversations at at work and side note I work at a, a small coffee shop and um and so, you know, I get all sorts of people who walk in and who want, who want to talk. And um, lately, like in the last year, I haven't been feeling like talking, which is very unusual. And it's because I, I you know, obviously we're in a pandemic or have been in a pandemic. And that's definitely carries on its own like uh, storm cloud and, and um, uh, it's just sort of like t- tunnel visions you and it makes it harder to be open. Yeah. But also, like, there's been quite a bit of shame that I've been carrying. and um, Because you're not talking? Not just because I haven't been talking, but I think it's, like, surrounding, like, I think CF, you know. And I hadn't realized that until this morning. And I started talking, having these conversations with these people. And I just openly just shared, like, yeah, I have cystic fibrosis. Yeah, I have, like, this is what I've gone through. Yeah. And it felt liberating to just be like, yeah, I have CF. And I, I feel more normal when I talk about CF and, than when I, like, try to hide it. Um, so you're saying, like, before today or whenever you normally don't – I mean, I guess, like, it's not like you would just bring it in the conversation. 
Is that what you mean? Like, yeah. Like now you're feeling proud. Now I'm feeling proud. And I would say like, that's this past year, like 18 months in the pandemic, I've felt very weird about like being up in the CF, but beforehand, like that was my normal. I think somewhere along the way in the last 18 months, I picked up this sort of, uh, inclination to like hide it like why do I have to bring up CF like why do I have to own this or like well is there anything else about me that I can talk about that isn't related to my disease yeah and so whenever I'm in, in conversation lately I, I kind of have neglected CF and I am and wanting to find who I am outside of CF has been where I where I've been and then finally this morning I'm like you know what CF is part of it CF is a big part of it and I gotta own it and take it and if it makes other people uncomfortable then so be it you're gonna have to be uncomfortable and um and they don't have to be uncomfortable like I I don't want I don't ever want that for somebody (laughs) right but like um I just I feel like I this is a lesson that I'm like relearning is that like if when I share my vulnerabilities other people share theirs and is there anything wrong with I just feel like that's a a deeper way of connecting with people I agree I agree I think yeah that's a big a big thing I've been learning these past few years and like yeah I was often told I was too sensitive and I think really just like exploring my sensitivity and my vulnerability not seeing that as weak and not seeing that as like something to hide and like you said just kind of like that kind of being the bridge to connecting with others and stuff like that right and making I've been exploring like the question of like what and I think when I'm going to say it out loud I'm going to be like that sounds ridiculous but it's like what does it matter that we create connections that are built upon like vulnerability like why why does that even matter like what what does that you even mean, mean like people think it's yeah not good yeah that's what I, I mean I perceive the way I perceive like social like our relationships within our especially our age group I feel like there's a lot of barriers that we that other people will put up and I don't understand why people don't want to be vulnerable I don't get that. We're like, what do you mean? I it's don't, fine. Yeah, I don't get that. Even though I just spent the last 10 minutes like explaining like how I'm like covering up CF. <laughs> I'm like, I also like don't understand like why can't we talk about these things? Like why can't we talk about things that are hard? And like why can't we open up and say, hey, I don't understand or I don't understand or hey, I'm having a difficult time. I feel like when I do that, May, my 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 uh, my issues aren't resolved, but I don't feel alone. Right, right. Like we're all <laughs> carrying our shame, purse. Our, our shame purse, backpacks, mountain like hiking gear. <laughs> this isn't heavy. It's fine. This is fine. No, I don't need your help. I've like I've got like three broken feet or three broken toes. Don't worry about it, guys. Like, <laughs> right. My my vertebrae's fucked up after this, but like no. God, it's a lot. Do the microphone closer. Okay, cool. We're just trying to figure out the sound. I feel sound. like I'm like, going to make out with this. <laughs> I know. Davis is like, just get really close to it. I'm like, this is weird, but I don't know. Who yeah, knows? Yeah, I don't think. It's I'm like getting when I'm karaoke, I'm like, please get this as far away from my face as possible. <laughs> the last time I did karaoke, anytime I do karaoke, I am 
very well inebriated, so I'm totally okay. <laughs> Who <with> is it? <laughs> I'm like, I cannot sing normally. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so I guess kind of to backtrack. Okay. For anyone who doesn't already know what CF, what cystic fibrosis is, can you explain that? Go there. Yeah. Talk about sure. that. Sure. Like, I'm do sure you want to like, like, okay, conversation number one million seven thousand? <laughs> I mean, I don't mind. One million seven thousand. I'm here for it. Hell yeah. Um, do you want to start with like what CF is? Yeah, I mean, I guess just in general, like for those who probably either have no idea who may have heard of it, like, I mean, for me to be honest, like, I've just known a little bit what you've told me. I don't know completely. I mean, and you don't have to go like on a molecular you can go as far as far as as I can can go you want to go (laughs) yeah yeah, just give an understanding of what that is I mean you mentioned it was a rare disease in the beginning and just like yeah that and maybe just like kind of segueing how living with that has been okay so um cystic fibrosis is a rare disease uh that is a genetic rare disease so to have cf you have to have each parent has to have a mutation for their child to have CF and there's like a 25% chance that if both parents are carriers for CF then their children or offspring will have CF so yes so it's like a 25% chance Mm -hmm. even if they have the mutation right so like so they might have it and might not right so like if you have if both parents have uh, CF mutations then there's a 25% chance that their kids are that one that their child will have CF. Okay. So I won that lotto. And um, ding, what? Ding, ding, <laughs> ding, 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 ding. ding. <laughs> uh, and so with CF, what it actually is, is what happens in the body is that uh, at the cellular level, there's a little channel that transports salt and water in and out of the cell. And people with CF, that little channel does it, is is folded, and it, there are different types of foldings of it, of the channel, um, and those are based on mutation types. <clears throat> so, what does that look like in the body? Um, the body can't can't rid uh, mucus normally; like it can't it can't get rid of mucus in, in the way that it normally would. Um, so, like in the the lungs you have all this accumulated mucus that is affecting the airways and in the way that you breathe and you have all of this inflammation. And because of the nature of inflammation in mucus, you are prone and very susceptible to, um, to infection, uh, particularly like pseudomon or bacterial infections. Um, is that so. just cause like it could like go jump in the mucus? Or... It's because it can thrive in the mucus. So okay. bacteria, certain bacteria can thrive very well in the environment that, that, that your lungs are hosting. Okay. So um, that thick, sticky. So think of like when you get a cold. The way the body is, is going to respond is by excreting more mucus to help hold the, the virus. Or like, that's the way the body, like natural response system is creating more mucus. And that's why you get like a runny nose and you cough and X, Y, and Z. And with CF, it's um, you already have the <laughs> mucus, and that attracts and creates that environment for bacteria to to uh, to thrive and to have happy little bacterial col- colony families. And then that 
very same bacteria, the body's going to respond to by creating more mucus. It's kind of like this vicious cycle. And so that's what's going on in the lungs. And then all that mucus and all that inflammation causes lung damage and it causes difficulty breathing. Um, and that's just the lungs. Um, it also, it affects like every cell in my body. It affects every part of my body. So it also affects the GI system and the way the body is able to absorb um, nutrients and uh, or, and fat-soluble uh, vitamins. It's going to affect the way that you, it, your ability to gain weight um, because the, the process of getting digestive enzymes from the pancreas to the small intestine is 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 difficult because of all that, mu that mucus and because it's going to block um or those sec secretions are going <laughs> to block that transport or destroy, destroy the pancreas altogether um and then the reproductive system has very blatant like ram ramifications uh, so it's a full body disease it affects everything and there i think but for me in particular, like I've had, my lungs have been the most affected. Um, and so, you know, I've had, I was diagnosed, most people with CF are diagnosed at birth. Uh, they usually have failure to thrive, which means that they're not gaining weight and they're like under, um, they're not meeting all of the growth criteria that a newborn baby or a young, young baby would would so they're often tested then and there but I never had those issues it wasn't until I was in second grade that I started I developed pneumonia um and I think it was sort of like a I would get better and just get sick again with pneumonia and I uh in third grade I got pneumonia again and my mom doesn't think that I ever recovered from my first bout of pneumonia yeah and yeah, I got it again. I had walking pneumonia, and it, I think, and I had a collapsed lung. And I remember having, I don't know, my millionth x-ray at this point, and the radiologist walked into my room, which almost never happens. The radiologist usually stays in their basement. <laughs> and he looks at my mom and dad, and he's like, this looks like cystic fibrosis. And I was a a tiny nine-year-old child, like, and that was my first time hearing those words. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, I was officially diagnosed after doing a sweat chloride test, which is um, where they actually, um, the, I, at that point, they put <laughs> diapers on my arms and, like, provoked me to sweat. They collected the sweat samples. Like literal diapers? Literal diapers. <laughs> Nowadays, they do things, like, a little bit differently. But um, at that point, they were they put diapers around my arms, and they made me sweat. And, they, you know, using the, the collection of sweat, they tested how much salt, like, what the salt mm -hmm. chloride levels were. And mine were high. I have, it was, like, um, and sure enough, I have CF. I had CF. And then later, later on, um, I did uh, mutation, like, testing for, like, what mutations I do have. And... I mean, I'm L1077P and Delta F508. <laughs> Talk dirty to me. What is that? Like a chromosome or this a receptor? I, I couldn't tell you. Okay. I don't think I could tell you that. Um, but that's the 
mutation, like the gene mutation that I have, I guess. I yeah. Know. I see. I haven't delved that, that deep into. We can stay here. <laughs> <laughs> don't make me go any further, Madeline. I don't know. I don't really even have an awareness of like genetics either. So I just, just know. Asking. I just know how much genetics are affecting me on a day to day. Just know my salt is high. Okay. But I used to have a lot of salt, and then when I was younger, I used to like. I literally, like, any time I would go outside for anything, like, I would just have, like, salt mines across my face. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, it's, like, precipitating on Yeah. Like, like, my knees were covered in salt. Whoa. Forehead. Whenever I, whenever I would work out or, like, get hot and sweaty. Yeah. It's cool because, I mean, that, I mean, that was my normal for most of my life up until about two, 2019. January 2019, I started taking a new or a novel, a novel medication called a uh, CFTR modulator. So what the modulator does is it helps correct the the channel in the cell. So like at a very molecular level, it's helping my, helping me and my body. And <laughs> since starting that, a lot of that, a lot has happened since starting <laughs> that medication. But one of the things is now I don't I don't get those salt mines that accumulate on my body anymore, which is cool. It's working, but um, but yeah. So that's CF. What would have okay? So you mentioned the new treatment. What what had you been doing treatment wise up until? Um. Um. The so new thing. So like I said, in CF, there's a lot of accumulation of of mucus it's it's a gross disease it's just disgusting <laughs> like mucus is so gross and so um the ultimate goal my day-to-day -day ultimate goal is to get as rid of as much mucus as possible to help me breathe and it's a lot of what I was doing is was very simple sort of like simple things like um to help loosen those secretions in my lungs so what I was doing were what was called like chest physical therapy where I would either I would put on this vest that would inflate and vibrate and like the intention of those vibrations and those percussions was to help loosen the secretions and like I would have to like manually try to like cough up as much as possible um and I would do a lot of inhale different inhale therapies and so I guess I'll, I'll go through them with you yeah um, only as much yeah, as you want yeah so I would do like a bronchodilator which means I would do a, an inhaler that would help open up the airways and that would you know help that would help open up the space to to help obviously like get rid of the mucus and help me breathe and um and then I would do something called um hypertonic saline seven percent which means that which is just a simple saline solution um that was seven percent of seven percent of salt and the function of that was to help um bring moisture into my lungs and also help loosen those secretions as well and because of the salinity levels it was an irritant so it helped me cough all that mucus out um and then after I would do the chest physical therapy, and then after that, I would do some sort of inhaled antibiotic. 
um, because my lungs cultured a chronic infection, and they, they still do. My, the infection that I have is called pseudomonas argiosa. And so um, I would do, I was on a routine, um, a routine of doing antibiotics, a two or three different antibiotic rotation throughout the year to help control the, the infection in my lungs. Um, if not, then if that, if that infection were to exacerbate it, it would cause me more problems and issue and issues with breathing and uh, just getting sicker and just like, you know, I was trying to maintain the baseline throughout the, mm -hmm. throughout my day to day. Um, and yeah, so I would do that treatment regimen mornings, evenings, and nighttime. And it would it took anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour, hour and a half, just depending on how, how I felt, how congested my lungs felt. Each treatment. Mm -hmm. So like maybe three hours a day. Yeah. So on a good day, I could get by with 25, 20, 25 minutes of treatments. But a lot of days weren't good days. <laughs> A lot of days were just, um, were, that my lungs were congested, my lungs were inflamed, and I needed to be able to breathe. So I would spend 30, 35, an hour, sometimes hours. Yeah. There were days that, like, um, I, that I would become, I would, I don't know, I, there were days that just were harder. Sometimes it would be because something in the air was was bothering my lungs. Um, sometimes it would be because, you know, the day before I, I, I you know, maybe drink some some alcohol or alcohol. That sounds ridiculous, but yeah, like little things could irritate my lungs, and I would I would have to deal with the congestion later. And sometimes there were things that I couldn't pinpoint why I was more congested or. And it was been a lot of time just sitting there doing treatments and trying to get rid of it as much as possible. There were days, <clears throat> there were mornings at like 3 a.m. in the morning I would wake up with a massive cough attack and that would last hours and I couldn't get it under control and I would lose sleep um, just trying to to not cough. Um, and I would, do, I would wake up and, and do treatments or just to sort of get some sort of control, just settle in comfortably. Yeah. Um, and that's what, that was my, my daily treatment regimen was those treatments that I, I shared with you, some sort of inhaled antibiotic and then an array of different medication, of different, like a lot of different vitamins. And um, there was before, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of the medications that I was taking were just addressing symptoms. They were never mm -hmm. addressing like any, any yeah. issues. A lot of Mucinex. Um, and then inevitably, like, inevitably, I would always get an exacerbation. Inevitably, like, the, the, their, the infection in my lungs would get, I guess, quote unquote, out of control. And I would mm -hmm. have to do more invasive sort of treatments like uh, IV antibiotics. And that entails, like, going to the hospital or the mm -hmm. doctor. Yeah, so that entails going to the going to the hospital, 
and at least being there for two or three days to start IV antibiotics, and then I would do it at home and, and finish IV antibiotics at home. So like three days at a time. Yeah, and that was Minimum. like a yeah, then that was like a short visit. Oh my goodness, <laughs> that's a short visit. So like when you when for me when I would do IV antibiotics, I would do antibiotic IVs for two weeks. Sometimes I would do that inpatient. Uh, just kind of depending how, on how I felt and, you know, like the agreement that I had with my doctor. Um, but a lot of times I would do it at home. Um, and that was a minimum two-week stay. Uh, I, before Trifapta, I was on IVs twice a year, like every six months. Because you would just have a flare-up or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so this is all happening since you're like nine years old. Yeah. Were the medical visits that, like, were they just consistently from when you were diagnosed? Like, were they just consistently like that? Or was it like a build up? Like, were you, had you just been spending all that time doing treatments and going to the hospital, like at the age of nine? So... When you say medical visits, do you mean like going, just like hospitalizations? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. So I didn't start doing IVs until I was, I was probably 13. Okay. But from 13 on, definitely every year, minimum two hospitalizations. Um, and protocol for people with CF is that you have a clinic visit with a pulmonologist and your, <clears throat> your overall CF team every three months. And that was ideal. Oftentimes, I was I was seen more often than that. Yeah. Oftentimes, something would prop up. Um, des- it didn't necessarily mean I was admitted, but I definitely had to be seen more often than that. Um, yeah, so that was that was CF. That or that is CF. There's uh, a world full of med- uh, hospital visits and medications and sort of trying to control control almost the uncontrollable and the inevitable it was I would finish a a round of IV antibiotics and I would like make goals to to try and go so many months without being on IV oh no like you know it was like it wasn't like this is done you know don't have to worry about this for a while it was like this is done but inevitably something else is gonna like it's gonna happen again right you know and as you get older with CF and you progress with CF, oftentimes the time in between IV antibiotics, the time in between exacerbations, the time in between getting sick becomes shorter and shorter. And you're becoming sick more and more frequently, you know. Um, so you're saying the intensity lessens or like the likelihood of the exacerbations is... Or no, you're saying the time in between gets shorter. shorter okay, right. okay. So you're just I was thinking snicker. the yeah. other way. So, no, okay. no, it would have okay. been ideal. <laughs> and I was like, oh, cool. So it gets better as you get older. No, no, no. It's the opposite. It gets okay. worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just like the whole time you were talking was just thinking about how, like, how were you feeling as like a 10-year-old? Like what in the world was going on in your head? Like, um as a nine or 10 year old, when I was diagnosed, I don't, 
I'm sure you probably, your really, brain was like, we're going to keep you safe and just pretend like this isn't happening. Right. I think that's what was going on. Like, I just don't, don't think I had any, like, concept, like, I couldn't conceptualize what, what was going I don't know if I could, and I just don't remember like, what right, was going right, on then. Yeah. Like, were you, how did the whole school thing work? Like, were you being taken out of school? Did you start homeschooling? Like, what, what so happened with all that? at diagnosis, I was sick often. And I was missing school a lot. I actually remember that my mom was, or my but my parents were sent a um, what is oh, that no, like a truancy a thing? truancy oh thing? My God. Yeah, but I mean, we had all the I had all the medical records sure, yeah. to like to to show that I was like, legitimately sick. But yeah, I was. That was like that was fourth. I was diagnosed in third grade and fourth grade. Diagnosed in the third grade, and then. Um, I was in public school at that point, and it was miserable for me because I was being bullied <laughs> a lot. And because the, of being sick, I think it was like there was that, or just like that, I, I think it was like regularly normal. bullying. Oh yeah, and then like also like having been sick, I think was like also a, something that the, there was a particular group of girls who just like did not like me, and they were bullying me. And so my mom put me in Catholic schools, and. <laughs> But it worked out in my favor. Like, that really worked out in my favor. Yeah. Being at, at a t- small Catholic school um, added an extra, like, layer of protection because I was in such a small community. Um, and I, my parents knew my teachers, and they could, like, talk to my teachers, like, one-on-one. They didn't have as many students, so that really that really helped a lot. And they all knew what was going on with my mm-hmm. health. Um, and they were very gracious with me. And as I get older, I realize, and like talking to my other friends with CF, they didn't have that same experience as like as elementary school, as an elementary school child. Um, it wasn't until high school that I started having a lot more problems with with school systems. Um, like my first high school that I went to. I think I, it was more of a me sort of situation of not wanting to be there at the school. I wanted to be with my friends at an all-girls private school. <laughs> and so I I left, but I did have some really great teachers, aside from one particular English teacher who, whenever I was sick, and like Madeline at this point in my life as a 14-year-old girl, I was very, very sick. I was like in the, in the hospital, like coughing up blood, like not like coughing up a lot of blood. You know, like, this was, like, this was my, what was going on as a high schooler that that would happen to me a lot was that I I wasn't just having exacerbations where I needed IVs at this point. It was, like, I was coughing up blood, and I was coughing up massive amounts of blood to the point where, like, I was, there were points as a 14-year-old that was, like, I think I'm going to die right now. (laughs) Um, And I had one teacher who would just tell the class that she like openly openly tell my class that she thought that I needed to be pulled out of school and she didn't know how I was going to pass classes and so because of her I think that prompted me to go to school with you but that was like wasn't that great either um I had a lot of issues with being able to make up tests and I had a lot of like like tension between different teachers who really didn't want to make any accommodations for me. Um, And while 
the majority of the teachers that I did have were very, very accommodating and very gracious and wanted to do whatever they could do. I'm, I'm thinking like Miss Stefan. Miss, a lot of people didn't like Miss Stefan, but Miss Stefan would wanted to go like ten extra miles just to make sure that I was like able to learn and like that I was I was okay. Um, but it was hard for me to accept that. It was hard for me to accept that. Those that your teachers were kind of, I mean, almost abandoning you in a sense. Um, or just like not, like well, you're like, well, I can't really do anything either. Right. Well, like, in like with Miss Stefan, she wasn't abandoning me. She was trying to do whatever she could to help me. You're saying you were feeling weird about that? Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I was like, thinking you were yeah. feeling weird about the teachers not being willing to help, yeah. but you're like, why do you want to help me, kind of? Yeah, I just didn't want... It, I wasn't even in a situation of, like, why do you want to help me? It was like, I didn't want the extra help. Oh, interesting. I didn't want that. Um, like, maybe it just made you feel that much more not normal. Right. I think that's what it was. Um, and then there were, like, there was, like, this... Miss Stefan and Miss Alsterwick was also amazing. There were the teachers who wanted to help me and yeah. like see me thrive and like, and then there were teachers who were just who were awful. Who, yeah, you, who did not care. I missed my algebra exam because I was in the hospital, and my teacher at the time did not want to like let me have have the opportunity to even take the test. Right. And I think those experiences weighed heavier on me like, because they were so like blunt and you know, cruel that it was harder to accept like where people were helping me. So yeah, it was hard uh, carrying being in school and being at sick at the same time. I think uh, in high school, especially, I was a lot sicker. I was very, I was, I was sick very often, and it was a very big thing you know it was, it was just coughing it was it's called hemoptysis which is when you cough up blood um and it was hard to balance all of that it was hard to balance being sick and then trying to keep up with school and then wanting a social life and just being like a 16 14 15 16 year old girl um in retrospect, I can say I can look at that situation and, and look at that circumstance in my life and be like, "Wow, that's a lot." But at the time, it would have been I would have felt severely like inadequate and like I wasn't doing enough. Um, when it was just hard, when it was just like that was the base of it. It was just hard. Um, they, I. I did the best that I could, and I learned that that particular Catholic school. I went to three school <laughs> schools in high school, and I learned and I, I left the second one because I wasn't getting any accommodations, and so I went to public schools where, by law, you have to have you have to accommodate your students. And um, I finished out high school um, at a public school and. I started off in person, um, but that got, I think it got really hard. This was my senior year, and I think that just got really hard for me. So I, I switched to doing home homebound, uh, which just means that you are able to stay home. or like, Which is like what we know as virtual, virtual school now. It's basically virtual schooling, but also like they send like a teacher out to like monitor all of your 
oh wow your progress and, and so that's how I finished out high school um that's cool that somebody was able to do that for you yeah it it was it was cool it was nice to have somebody be there um and I think I really think that I, I was able to like I feel like my high school experience I feel like I just like didn't get a whole lot out of it because I was sick so often so I think a lot of like my like foundational like skills that I have are directly from middle school like had I not had that experience like had I not been in private schools like private catholic school as a middle schooler I would have been so behind um and I just wonder like how how I would have been different academically had I been in school like consistently I wonder what like my grades I was able to keep up my grades because a lot of the times like my head teachers who were very gracious with me but like I'm thinking of like ACT testing is like would that have been higher had I just had a more consistent like foundation would how would would that look how look like you know Mm -hmm. I don't know um yeah I mean, you still turned out to be a hell of a writer. Yeah, I did. And I, I really think that was Miss Neiman, like, sixth grade. Like, I think Miss Neiman really, I don't know what it was. Like, so shout out to her um, for for being able to, to formulate sentences and make them cohesive. <laughs> You're like, shout out. Shout out to her. Um, I mean, and I, I mean, I don't know if you were there long enough to get the benefits but I do feel like I see really uh I have to give I see a lot of credit for my writing foundation too would you have had you were there freshman year no I was there sophomore year okay well at least you had Miss Alsabrook yeah so I had (laughs) Miss Alsabrook and like honestly I don't I don't remember really don't remember being in school I just remember being out of school right. and trying to keep yeah. up with school yeah that was like that's like my memory of high school altogether is like being sick and trying to keep up um I don't feel like you missed that much I don't think I missed that much either as a high like a 16 year old I would have been I would have been freaking right, out right. I was freaking out on a daily basis but I, in retrospect I was like I I think You're I like, was thank god I, I did yeah, not have to go through <laughs> That sounds like a hell. Like, that just sounds like some weird torment and torture that I, I'm glad that I, I'm not, I'm not glad that I missed out on that. But, like, you know, it really wasn't that big of a deal, you know? Sure, yeah. It really wasn't that big of a deal in, in the entertainment and media that we had at, the, at that point, I think, like, glorified it. And so I felt like I was missing out. Um, but it wasn't. Okay, so I guess fast forward again. Okay. And you started the new Tricapta. treatment. Yeah, the new modulator. And so you were telling me the differences when we met the other day and how, like, transformative that was. Like, yeah. can you talk about that and how basically it was kind of like night and day for you? Yeah. It's such a bizarre experience altogether. Um, so I started the, it's called Tricapta, it's a CFTR modulator, so it helps with the, the little channel in my cells, it helps it to work normally. You can only imagine, like, a sheepdog <laughs> and, like, the sheep. 
Get in here, little salt guys. <laughs> get in and get out. Like, just like, I, I, um, I just, I honestly just imagine like folding. Just like something like being folded and like, you know, I don't, I don't know. I imagine like a road and like roadblocks, you know? That's what I think of when I think of the, the channel. But anyway, so since taking it, um, God, that, that was night, night and day for me. I, I started taking it, <clears throat> and I didn't know what to expect. I had been on other modulators before. I had been on a, in another trial before, and I did see benefit. Um, but at this point in my life, I think I was so, I was very depressed. I was very depressed, very sad, and like coming to the realization that like, wow, CF is really just hard and just shitty. And um, so I didn't have like a whole lot of expectation. I was, I was in the trial for it, uh, in the clinical trial for it. So I started off with like, six months on a placebo or not, you know, a double blind. I was in the double blind study. So I like, you know, the half of the participants are on the placebo, half of them are on the actual study drug. And but so the doctors don't know, right? The doc, nobody knows. Nobody knows what, what you're on. And so my, <laughs> like, we don't know what you gave, we gave you, right. so we don't know. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like they're just monitoring me. Like they're like, we don't know what we gave you. Um, continue as if you you're taking placebo and I was like okay cool and so that's what I did and like I was convinced I was on the actual study drug and that my and that my disease just like wasn't getting better like that's how I felt for six months I was like this is the actual study drug and it doesn't help and so like this is not gonna get any better I was even admitted to the hospital at one point coughing up blood so I started like in August of 2018 and then I got started coughing up blood in October, so I was admitted for two weeks, and I was like, look, see, this shit doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Told you. It doesn't work. It's like, there's no hope for me, and um, I was like, just kind of like getting comfortable with like being like <laughs> perpetually uncomfortable and sick, and um, I think that that response and like that headspace I was in was just sort of like reflective of like so many times I had been sick like gotten sick so abruptly and so suddenly that it was just sort of like a coping mechanism to just assume the worst and six months were up I rolled over into the second the second part of the study where I was given the actual study drug <clears throat> and I took the first dose and I was like it's not gonna be I've been taking this for the last six months <laughs> nothing's gonna change but like very like a very small part of me was like oh I don't know maybe maybe be different Oh my god! I started taking that medicine, and um, my whole world did like a one eighty for the first couple of weeks. Okay, so like to preface, I had no like no idea like what to expect because like I'm one of the I'm like a guinea pig for the shit, so like I have no idea what to expect of like what's gonna come out. But um, but for the first couple of weeks, I was like coughing up all this all this shit from my lungs, like it's just so much mucus coming out of my lungs. It just felt like um so for context like the mucus that comes out of my lungs on a normal basis is like very thick and sticky and very gross and it's like it's dark green and dark green means like (laughs) it's infection but I was coughing up just like all this it felt like a faucet had turned on 
all the smoke is just like that out cat of you. that's throwing up rainbow. <laughs> that filter. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, this isn't rainbow colored. It was like clear sputum. And I was like, I've never seen, I've never seen my mucus this like, like beautifully like. You're like, I need to keep this. I need to keep this. It's like, <laughs> I've never seen it, but there's a lot coming out of me. Like, wow, this is a lot of mucus. I'm like, I don't know. Is it working? I don't know. There's a change in my, the color and the consistency is it's not thick anymore. What's going on? It, that was really weird. Um, and that was like, that was for a couple of weeks and then finally it subsided. And then I was like, huh. Like, I can breathe, like, pretty easy. Like, I, like, wake up in the morning and I can breathe, like, without any issues. I'm not coughing throughout the day. Um, I think that was a really big one for me. It was, like, I was, on my day-to-day, I was coughing. I was coughing all the time. And I think that's how, uh, I mean, that's how people, like, would recognize me. It was, like, through my cough. But I, I started to have, like, long stretches of time where I wasn't coughing. And it wasn't clearing my throat. Um, and then I just had all of this energy. So I had like this, this untapped resource of energy. I was like, wow, I can wake up at early in the day and go to bed like at 11 o'clock at night. And, you know, I'm tired, but I'm not like physically drained. Like I'm not just completely depleted. And that was weird for me. I was like, whoa. This is this is this is what everybody's on. Like they're on like, a <laughs> <laughs> like there was this light bulb moment where I was like, now I understand how my friends do it. I get it. I get how they are able to like maintain jobs and school and all of it. They have the energy to fucking do it. Right. And that was so bizarre. How far me. were you in taking it at this point? Maybe like a, a month, month in. Maybe a month in. I'm just like sort of like it, I was just like putting together the pieces. Like you know, all of a sudden like like I guess like this like weight is lifted off of you and you're like starting I was starting to notice like okay I'm not coughing my mucus looks beautiful honestly needs to like be like save this for the rest <laughs> of my life somebody give me a medal <laughs> <laughs> my mucus looks good and like I'm not coughing and I I have energy what is this um and it was just it was just like surreal I was like whoa this is awesome I feel good and I didn't know what good felt like you know, I thought I had an idea of what good feels like. And I'm like, that shit was wrong. <laughs> that shit was off. <laughs> my idea of feeling good was totally, like, my my baseline for good is what I would consider sick today. And that's a fucked up thing to acknowledge in my life. Uh, so, like, before Trikafta, I would, cons- I when I was feeling good, like, I had, like, energy where I thought. Oh, like, your old good. My old is good is my to sick today. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And that's, that's like, that's its own emotional mess that I have to, like, work <laughs> through. <laughs> and so, like, I was feeling well. I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. And um, in the study trial, I'm not allowed to see, like, any of my numbers. So, like, I'm not allowed to see, like, so, like, I to do the trials, you, I do all sorts of fun tests. Um, Are you still in it? I'm still in it. Okay. And I'm not allowed to see my numbers. So I had to wait till I went to the doctor, to my regular clinic, Mm. uh, CF clinic, to see how I was doing lung-wise. And so with CF, uh, one of the measures engaging lung health is called the pulmonary function testing. And so the way it works is um, basically, I don't know, maybe you may have done it. Did you say you had asthma? 
I don't think so. had asthma today. I don't think I've ever done a pulmonary function, function testing test, yeah. for the PFT. PFTs for short. Um, basically, what you do is you're supposed to blow into this machine and you with all the force possible. And what it's gauging is how much, how many liters of oxygen you you blow out in a certain amount of time. And um, and and I I think there are certainly different measurements within like PFTs altogether. But what I'm looking at is like my FEV1, which is like the amount of oxygen that I'm expelling it in a certain amount of time. And I'm also looking at like my lower airways and how 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 much how well they're working altogether. And so my baseline for for my FEV1 FEV1 was 60%. Always <laughs> oh, 60%. Um yeah, it was between 60 and 70 or 60 and 67%. Um, and then I go into clinic after a month of taking Trikafta and I'm like, again, I may be feeling well, but that's probably placebo effect. (laughs) (laughs) I doubt it. Like, you know, if anything, 10%, like that's, which I would be happy with, you know, I would be fine. Well, 77%, like if I can make it or like, or like 70%. That would be great. I don't, I'm not going to complain. Um, and I did PFTs, and I look at my numbers. I'm, I'm one of those patients who's like, does the test, and then I like immediately go to the computer. Like, let me see. Let me see my. Let me see my numbers. <laughs> and I'm like squinting, and I'm looking over like the art, the respiratory therapist, and I'm like, does that say 84 percent? And wow. he's like, yeah. And I was like, I looked at him. I was like, is your machine broken? He goes, <laughs> it's been working all morning. And I was like. Are you sure? And he's like, no, it's been working all, mo- oh, all morning. I was like, okay, machine's broken, but you don't know it. Oh, my God. And so I go to the clinic room, and I'm like, like, like my like nerves are about to like pop out of my body. I'm like, what does this mean? And my pulmonologist walks in, and she's like, she's like perky and happy. And I'm like, are these numbers right? And she, <laughs> she goes, you are the fourth patient who's been the trial. You are my confirmation that it's the medicine's working. And I was like, You're like oh, holy shit. shit, what do I do? <laughs> like, I'm like, part of me is like crying. And the other part of me is like, I'm like, but Dr. Miller, like, when is this going to be over? Like, when is it going to like not work? Um, like, that was legitimately my first question. I was like, okay, that's great. So when is it going to stop working? So like, <laughs> this is all great. And she was like, well, I mean, it's working at a cellular level. Like, theoretically, it's not like an antibiotic where where the bacteria can develop resistance. Like, this is theoretically, like, sort of for like, the rest of your life. And I was like, So yeah. it's supposed to be rebuilding these channels? No, or, no, no, not rebuilding. It's just, it's just, I like, guess. Like, is it only modulating while you're taking it? Yeah, so it's only working while I'm taking it. So theoretically, you would be taking this for the Forever, rest of your life. right. So it's something that I would have to take for the rest of my life. And um, assuming that there's, like, no other, like, new therapies that yeah. I could go on and stuff. So, yeah. So, she was like, yeah, you know, like, this is not like a, an antibiotic where you would develop resistance, you know, theoretically. Like, it's going to be working for a while, a long time. And I was like, okay. And I was just, like, very thrilled and excited and about that. And... Yeah, no, my dad and I, my dad was, a, that was the first time he had ever gone to CF clinic with me. And um, 
we went and celebrated and got bagels. And this is an I go to clinic in Nashville, so we went to go get bagels. And Mumford and Sons was playing that night, so we went oh. to the concert. And like I got home, and like I had an ex- existential crisis for like six months. <laughs> I was like. I have no idea what to do with this information. Like I was crying every night. Like I was just, it was, I was, I was crying out of pure joy and happiness for the long time. And then I was like, what do I do? And I was the first way I learned to like the, the way that like my brain was processing, like this idea of like, what do I do? Like, I uh, was like, I went immediately to my sexuality and like, I'm, I'm pretty straight. Like I'm, I'm definitely very straight. I've, I've really never thought about my sexuality, like, beyond men. And then all of a sudden, like, this question of, like, am I gay, though, starts coming up. And I was like, I don't think I'm gay. <laughs> like, but it would, it would drive me into panic attacks. Like, I, like, I remember, like, being on the floor, like, crying. Like, I have no idea, like, what my sexuality is anymore. And, um... My dad actually talked me through this one. He was like, well, I mean, everybody thinks that they're gay at one point. And I was like, I don't know. I think this is something bigger. And, um, I mean, I would have this conversation a lot. It was like, it would start off, like, with the question of whether I'm gay. But the more I, like, explored the question, it was like, I'm on this new medicine, and I have no idea what to do with it. Um, I'm on this new medicine, and I have all of this stuff that I never had to, like, I can never confront because... Uh, all this trauma and like fear and questions that I really could never confront because I was kind of, I was continuously within like the, the scope. Yeah, I was busy. I was doing stuff. I was trying to stay alive. (laughs) Now that like that, now that I'm not like trying to stay alive, like I can explore those questions and ask myself like, what do I want to do with my life? And um, I'm still in that spot. I'm like, it's been, two years and I'm just like still there I mean we've had like a pandemic in the middle of it so right 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 but like I'm still in this fun of like I don't know how to process this like I I don't know what to do with it like I don't know what to do with this new health um and it's crazy it's just a really crazy spot because I I don't think I could have nobody I don't think any of us could have fathomed like um we all talked about like if we talk about a cure and like finding the cure for CF and X, Y, and Z, and that just sounds like a, a like a beautiful sort of like far away like dreamland right. like, that you can't really like conceptualize. But here we are with something that isn't a cure, but it's the closest thing that we have. And um, I think a lot of patients with CF just sort of are just, are kind of in that in shock, like in this, a, a a state of shock, um, a state of shock, a state of awe. Um, I tell a lot of people that I'm like, it's like this, it's like the complete opposite of being diagnosed with a terminal illness, but it's the same emotions. Like, it's like a lot of the similar emotions that you have to process, you know, but I guess I'm doing it backwards. I'm like, oh, now I have to process like a lot, like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. 20, 25 years worth of like, I know, like having to undo all of those, all of those things. There was a point where, and I probably still will do this, but, um, so I do my study clinic at, at Le Bonner, and um, I'm in the old hospital, and, like, I walk in that hospital, and I just, like, get overwhelmed with emotion, because I'm like, oh, my God, this is, like, this is the place where I've had a lot of, most of my, like, CF-related, like, scary experiences, 
but it's also the place where I've been able to heal like through those experiences and also apparently through trichafta. Like I'm, I'm having it's we're all it's all coming coming around. Or what is that called? Full circle. Full circle. Yeah. Full circle here. Yeah. That's insane. It's an insane. It is insane. And nobody like has like a guidebook on how to deal with this shit. <laughs> I mean, you're a good writer. I am a good writer. Like that is true, but like I just don't know how to like approach this big big subject. It's cool. It's a really cool experience. Um I mean, I'm sure it's going to take it's going to take a while. Nearly as long as it took to like wrap your brain around it to unwrap your brain around it. Right, right. And I mean, like hopefully not. 28 more years but I hope not um I look a lot I look for guidance with uh from my friends who've like experienced uh transplant um I think there's a lot of especially I guess in the CF community there's a lot of overlap there I mean it's the same experience of like you being very sick and like having your lungs just like work against you it feels like um so I I I find a lot of um, similarities and overlap in in sharing those experiences with one another, but um, it feels like the trichafta experience is like a a shortcut. <laughs> like you you have to you get to um, bypass the whole like uh, massive surgery of getting somebody else's organs inside your body and like being on like very low levels of ox or like functioning on low oxygen levels and like lung capacity altogether um but yeah like I think that's like that's the only thing like I can really compare it to or I don't think there are very many other I mean for a while there I was like what's the closest experience to this I was thinking like maybe cancer patients but I don't even think that's like a comparable experience because most cancer patients aren't like dealing with um they're diagnosed like there's like a diagnosis date and then a, hopefully like a remission date because there's like a pre-person like a pre like can't a person who like had a life that they knew without cancer if that makes sense yeah whereas like for me it's like I never had a life without CF you know like it was just always there yeah so I've been trying to like unravel that and like it's weird it's a lot yeah it's traumatic <laughs> yeah I mean we were talking about it the other day like just that whole identity change like and you just said it like you didn't really have life before it you th that was your life and like now it's like life after or life without without or like I mean CF is still it's still there like sure it, yeah it, it's um it's still there I still have to like cater to my body but not with as much it doesn't take as much time from my day it doesn't take as much resources from my my body to deal with my body you know yeah. it doesn't take as much of my energy um and I can distance myself from it and that feels weird it's like it feels really weird being distant from CF and that's disorienting um I think in a lot of senses like CF helped me develop like a purpose um whether that purpose was like to stay alive every day or to like want to be a part of the CF community and like be an advocate for people with CF. Um, but now that I'm experiencing this side of health, 
part of me is like, well, is that really where I want to be? Do I really want to stay here, like in in the CF community? And um, whether intentionally or not, like I've definitely drifted away from that. Um, like I was saying earlier, like I think it was before we started recording, I was like, yeah, like I before Trikafta would talk about CF often, and um, then there's been like this period of like the pandemic and post Trikafta where I feel like I don't know, like I've like do I bring up CF as much as I I, sh- I is it as big of a deal and um. Was that around the time that you were talking about? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, so it coincides. They they all coincide. It's where you were just like, oh, well, it's not really like right me anymore. Right, exactly. So it's like we're like this period of time where I'm like, before Trikafta, it was very easy for me to bring up CF and just not feel like ashamed about it. I was like, this is my life and this is my reality, and so you know what, we're gonna bring it up, and then. After Trikafta, I'm like, I, I, do I, what do I, what do I do with it? Like, what do I do with all of this? You know, do I, do is, I like come <laughs> and give them the whole spiel? <laughs> they're like, is, this is the whole spiel, but it's really not affecting me that much. It's not that big of a deal, but it still is, even though it's even though it's not as obvious in my day to day. It's 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 still affecting me. It's definitely like, um. I think before tri- well, definitely before Trikafta, I would have like definitely identified with CF as m- me being my disease, and that was easy for me to say, and I can still justify that. And whereas now I'm like, ah, I don't know anymore. Like I have space to like develop my identity more so, and I'm like, how do I do that? Like how do how do I do that? How do I develop my identity a little bit more? What does that look like? Where does CF come into play? Right. Like, how do I incorporate all of these pieces of who I am? So, yeah, I feel like that's going to be the rest of your life, too. Right. And like, I th- where does it all fit? Yeah. And I think that's like what's true for most people, you know, whether or not they have CF. I think we're all kind of sort of making, trying to make it all fit together. And, um, and <clears throat> live with some whether we whether we're aware of it or not we 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 develop a framework for what we call our, our identity and um and who we are and how what we what we stand for what we believe our purpose is in x y and z and um and that feels for me right now feels very strange because i'm like i don't know what framework i don't know I'm a lot of different things. I I resonate with a lot of different stuff, but I also it feels like this whole trikafta experience just feels like anything is up for grabs, though. Like anything like can flip on a dive. Like apparently, like and I. That, but that's also the like the flow of life and in, in the universe as well. It's like things are constantly ebbing and flowing, and I feel like if I latch onto one thing, um, I, I guess this is like fear. I fear that like. If I latch onto something, then I get too close to it, mm-hmm. and I like I uh, don't create room for other for other aspects of who I am, or or um, 
and I think that overwhelms, I think it just overwhelms me. Like, I think it's just overwhelmed. Like, the whole concept of identity overwhelms me. Um, I just much prefer it to be something that's an open space, you know? I mean, I show up oftentimes as somebody who's very, like, loud and boisterous and fun and, and um, friendly, but sometimes I don't show up as that person, and I think that's okay. So... I don't know, I'm going on like on, on a tangent here, so. No, you're good. Yeah, I'm just, yeah, trying to feel out the whole thing. But yeah, and we were talking about the identity piece too. Just, yeah. 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 Yeah, identity is, uh, is hard. It, it's weird. It's just weird to like, I don't know. I feel like there was like, there's, I feel like for a lot, a long time, and for a huge part of my life, um, I would tell myself, and I would hear it from other people, or echoed back to me that CF isn't who I am. CF is just a part of you. It's not all of you, and I think that's sort of true. Um, but like, but there came a point where I. As I was getting sicker and I was becoming more pessimistic, I was like, no, CF is who I am. Like, CF has affected every part of my life. I think it's very valid to say, like, yeah, uh, CF is is my identity. Um, Even my therapist, like, disagreed with me on that. She was like, that's not all of who you are. And I was like, well. uh, Current or previous, like, at the time? We're on a break. Sure. We're on a break with one another. Um, we're seeing other people. We're seeing other people. Um, and I think that with Tri-Captain, as I evaluate that, for a little while, I can I can understand why people would want be eager to like separate the two like cf is something different and you're you are different from you aren't cf like cf is not who you are i can get that i can get why you'd want to not enmesh those two because i mean in in a lot of ways cf can be seen as something limiting and and a barrier a barrier but like the more i think about it the more i see like and i observe other people i see oftentimes we a lot of people have the tendency to like identify themselves through their body you know, like, through their physical, like, being, um, and, and I, I just think to myself, like, if, if an able-bodied person can, like, identify themselves as this physical form is who I am, then why can't I say, hey, like, this CF, which just affects every, every single cell of this body, like, yes, this is who I am, like, right. this is how I express, like, I express myself through this, this body. Um, and so I think it's very valid because, like, whatever whatever I do, whatever I say, where I, you know, however I act, it's going to be channeled through a body that has CF, and that's and I think that is perfectly okay. Like, I don't think there's any problem with that. And I, in in a sense, it's it's a, is it empowering? Yeah, in a sense, like it's okay. It's, it's, I would have fucking loved it as a child to see other people own. And claim their diseases rather than like me, like constantly trying to like find space for myself and like trying to like trying to like meet status quo, what was being portrayed as status quo, like what was normal. Yeah. 
Um, kind of just going back to that whole like vulnerability. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I, I would have loved to see that and not very many people did do that. Uh, in the CF community, again, like a lot of, it was a lot of the, at the time, like growing up, it was like the, the whole concept of like, I am not my, my disease, you know, a disease is just a part of my, or my disease is just a part of my life. That, that's what I saw. And by nature, like, I'm not somebody who, I, tr- I want to fit in, I try to fit in, <clears throat> but by nature, like, I, I guess it just, like, creates more anxiety, and, like, it just doesn't work for me, so I talk, and, like, that's why I would share everything that I have shared on, on social media about my life with CF is because um, it was a way for me to process what was going on. It was a way for me to, like, to acknowledge that these are big things um, and that I didn't fit. Like, I couldn't, like, I couldn't make it all work. Like, I couldn't, like, hide, like, I couldn't hide CF. And then I had done that for so long, and then I, I got healthy. It's still weird for me to say, I got healthy. <laughs> You're like, I'm not healthy. Yeah, and, like, I got healthy, and then I was like, oh, what now what do I do? Now what do I talk about? And so this morning, I was like, this, this morning I had this, like, you know what, I'm going to keep talking about CF. I'm just going to see where it takes me. Like, Still, I'm going to keep talking about this damn disease and like how it's affected me because it's my point of vulnerability, and vulnerability is what I'm good at. I talk a lot. Well, and I think, too, you kind of shared it, but, like, just, yeah, the identity kind of being ever-changing and ever-evolving and, like, not rigid and not limited but like oh shit I forgot where I was going with that um but like I feel like like you say it's valid to say that you are CF but then I think also it's okay for you to come outside of that too and say like like you were kind of going on about the body like yes this is how I'm expressing myself through this body but like who am I beyond this body right like right yeah Right, like, I think that, um, I think I'm, I found myself to be somebody who, who really believes in, like, um, in the idea or the concept that two contrasting ideas or truths can be, both be true at the same time, even though they don't, they're not, they don't seem like it, like, that's just how I. She's talking about duality. Yeah, exactly, like, (laughs) I, I think I write about that, that was, like, my first piece that I had ever written for. Uh, an actual like foundation it was like both can be true at the same time um it can be true that I have CF and it is my identity but like it also like you were saying it, it can also be true I can also hold in the other hand that I am much I encompass much more than CF you know um yeah and but I think what I have issue where I have issues is like how do you communicate that how do you like share that like yes CF is is me but also there's a lot more to me than just CF you know that doesn't seem like it just doesn't it's not neat and perfect little box you know like check it makes sense it doesn't have to be and it doesn't have to be and I think that's where we like I think that's where people like trip themselves up is that like it has to like make sense and it's it just doesn't it doesn't make sense and so yeah, like you were saying that I was saying, like it just, <laughs> it just ebbs and flows. It just go, it just like comes and goes. Like, 
waxes and it wanes and you know you you bring in all these different dimensions of who you are um and it and you try to make some, some sort of cohesion in, into it and it's just it's been it's been weird and confusing yeah um like uh I, I don't know for example like you know just like what are other aspects of my identity? I've been talking about CF for so long. I'm like, I don't know. Are there any other things that I can talk about anymore? I don't know. Um, You're Venezuelan, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Like, yeah, just being Venezuelan and being a child of an immigrant um, adds in a, a, a total, another lived experience that a lot of people don't, don't have. Um, I so think your parents... <laughs> Yeah, so my mom is from Venezuela. My mom moved here when she was 18 to go to school, and then she stayed. Your dad was already living here? Yeah, my dad. My dad's from here. My okay. dad's my dad's a born and raised Memphian. Oh, shit. Yeah, so it's like, dude. That's another part of your identity. Another, exactly. Oh, wait, Madeline's like, let's find out who, who Luisa is. She's raised Catholic. Oh, my gosh. Raised Catholic from Memphis, has a mom who's from Venezuela, um, but I mean that exact, yeah. like exactly These are what all you were exactly, just saying. Like, there's so many dimensions, right? Exactly. You. And like, if I, you know, like for a while there, I was like very like Latina, like you know, and like I was like, yeah, I'm saucy, I'm saucy, and I'm sexy, and I'm like, because <laughs> this is what Latinas do. They're saucy, sexy, and loud, and like you, they're they're, you know, they're gonna fight you or. <laughs> They're gonna express their experience. I don't fight (laughs) as she gets louder. I don't fight. (laughs) I honestly, I'm honest. Like I, I I get loud, but I don't know how to fight. Like I don't know how to fight people. I'm just like (laughs) I get confused in fights. I'm like, wait, why was I mad in the first place? I don't know why I'm here. What am I fat? What am I mad about let's again? Not, let's just talk about it. <laughs> I'm sorry for whatever I did. <laughs> like I like to pretend that I'm like this is very assertive. Like knows what she wants and like. Or I guess <laughs> I'm not that assertive. I'm just like again. It's that like idea of balancing. I'm like assertiveness. Let things flow. I don't know which one do I go with. Like I, and then I get paralyzed by like that that For that sure. decision. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what is what is what does life want me to do. Stop. I I just like want to not make decisions for once. Just, right. Oh, yeah. This is overwhelming for me. Nothing I wonder if you have Gemini in your chart because you sound like you're <laughs> describing my life. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what I have. I just know that I'm a Leo. She's a Leo. <laughs> I just know I'm a Leo. I was born on the 28th of, Ju- 28th of July at 3.15 in the afternoon, 1993. Oh, my God. I'm like, <laughs> I just need to look it up. You were born here? You were born here, you said? I was born here. Okay. I don't know what, like... I haven't really brought that much astrology on the podcast, but if you know me, then you know that I am kind of nerdy about it. But, yeah, I mean, I feel like I have been trying to figure out duality and understand how to incorporate it in my life too. So hearing you talk about it, it's like, 
again, another like vulnerable thing, creating a connection, like cool. Someone else knows what it's like to feel like pulled in two and, different directions and have no idea what to do. And Just like, sit there. honestly, it's like more than two different directions. It's like 15 different directions. You're like, ah, I don't know which way I want to go. Right. Right. You know, because part of what you hear is, you know, be assertive and like, you know, go after what you want. And then, you said three fifteen. Yeah, or maybe yeah, three fifteen in the afternoon. Well, and then it's also like having to differentiate between like what is it that other people want me to do versus mm-hmm. what do I want to do, and that's been a big lesson for me. Like, right, caring about what other people think and what I think other people want me to do or be, and then it's like. Well, none of that matters. Right. Like, let's like, let's unpack that. Like, I'm curious to know, like, what that experience is for you. And, like, where has it surfaced the most for you? And You mean caring about what other people think? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I just, like, have never known. It's not submitting. I've never, oh, I've never been in a place where I felt confident in trusting myself. Like I've always felt like I needed to satisfy someone else or be a chameleon to appease someone or like whether that was my parents or teachers or like, Oh, if I'm this person, then I will make them happy. And then either they won't be mad or they won't reject me or abandon me or things like that. And so I think constantly doing that for everyone in your whole entire life, you lose the connection with who you are and who you, yeah, who you truly are at your core because you're trying to be all these different things and all these different things for people. And I'm sure that's like very exhausting to like, to, exhausting and emotionally taxing and probably hard to keep up with for sure for you yeah and like yeah i'm like trying to think i'm like no one ever interviews me on my podcast (laughs) (laughs) you're not allowed to i'm just like caught off guard um yeah like really probably within the last few years i have been looking more inward and like trying to figure out like what is Madeline want? Who is Madeline? Like essentially going back to the identity thing, like because I have tried to be all these different things for other people, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I want or who I am or what I like or what I don't like. And so my life the last few years has been like, okay, well fuck everybody else. Like, who are you? Like, what do you want? Like, I've shared on my podcast before, but I was literally like pursuing a degree in engineering because I thought that it would make me a lot of money. And I thought that's what would make my family proud. And mm-hmm. I thought that's what I could do with my intellect. And like, mm-hmm. I had to drop out because I got depressed because it's not, it's right. not what I wanted to do. And right. like, I feel like my body knew and it was like, okay, hold on. You can't do this anymore. Right. Like, it's a lot. It's a, that's a lot of work. It's overwhelming. I remember when my friends were going through engineering school, I was like, oh, my God. First yeah. of all, I can't, like, do 2 plus 2, so good God. Sure you can. Okay, I can't do 2 plus 2. That wasn't fair. Like, <laughs> 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 
the square root of any, anything. Like, you need formulas for that. It's fine. Right. Like, but I can imagine that being, it's funny because like, I don't think I've ha really had that experience of like who, okay. I haven't had the experience of like having to appease myself or appease other people like to get, you know, be accepted or feel validation or X, Y, and Z. I haven't, I haven't felt that pressure and I don't know if, which I guess is, is a good thing. Um, I feel like it would be a whole lot packing that on to like just trying to survive for you. Right. I think, um, I'm sure there are plenty of people with CF who experience it, but like, I feel like for me, the way my, the way my brain works, it's just like, we're going in one direction and we're one direction and only, and that's, you're going to be who you are. Like, did you ever have to be like, I guess, like, did you ever have to pretend to be stronger than you were or like feel this obligation to like, like for your family? Or so, for yeah, parents, that's an, like, that's an interesting question. Um, I never felt an obligation or a sense of like protecting my parents from like seeing like my, my pain, like, and I still don't, I just feel like I, I don't know if it's cause I can't control my emotions or, or what it is, but. I broke, I mean, I broke down off, I break down often and I'm very transparent with, with about it with my family. And, um, my mom is for a long time, she's just like baffled. She's like, <laughs> get over it. And I'm like, you don't get it. And this is the reasons why we cannot just get over it. This, this, and this, and this. <laughs> and you just don't understand what it's like to be sick. And she's like, I just, I just don't understand what it means to be depressed. And I was like, clearly not we're gonna talk about it some more yeah. like I didn't know how to mask that I didn't know how to mask like um I'm always in awe that people can mask what they're feeling and who they are because I just can't do it like this weekend I was at um my grandmother's house or we were doing our like last supper there before the house sells and I was, I just wasn't there emotionally. I was like, like, checked out. <laughs> like, I can't do this. And, um, and so I was just awkward and weird and quiet and didn't know what to say. And that's, I think in my head when I was growing up, I thought, oh my God, all of my family and my cousins can just like be here and be present and be funny and X, Y, and Z. As I've gotten older, I've realized they're just as fucked up as I am. Yeah. They're just good at masking it. Yeah. And I just, like, I think that, like, seeing you talk about that and, like, being able to, like, be a chameleon and, and sort of augment yourself to, like, fit the environment, like, I just don't get it how, how it works. Like, I just don't know how to do that. Like, I think my brain just, like, like <laughs> just fizzles out at some point. If I can't do it, I can't do it. And um, so, yeah, no, I not some I don't know whether that's a good or bad thing it's just the way it is like I just like if I can't be me then it's not like if I and like and I'm, if I can't be me I mean that like if I me myself cannot physically show up or not physically but like emotionally show up then it it's just not gonna happen like I can't like fake that I can't that's fake cool it. though like that sounds like some intense boundaries 
Like, that is admirable to me. That's so funny that you think that's <laughs> admirable. I think, to me, well, I feel like it's something that's, like... Because I was, like, depressed for so many years because I wasn't being authentic. Right. Because I wasn't showing up as myself. As yourself. And now, now, finally, at 28, I'm like, well, fuck that. Like, right. I have to show up as me. Right. How does it feel showing up as yourself in an environment where you're used to sort of being ma- masking yourself? and like It's a, hard. Like, How does that, like, what's the contrast? Like, if I could give you a visceral feeling, it would be like you scrape your arm and your skin is, like, had just been growing and someone, like, pokes you. Like, Ooh, like it's yeah. just like you, I mean, raw. you know what it feels like to be vulnerable and, like, raw. Like, right. And then people are still hurting and defensive Mm -hmm. and just will try to shoot arrows at you maybe Mm -hmm. unconsciously and you have to stay in there and act like it doesn't hurt and Mm -hmm. like hold your composure and tell yourself like these people are hurting Mm -hmm. this has nothing to do with you this has nothing to do with you being authentic don't let this experience close you off and that has been really hard and I mean, I'm getting better, but, like, I'm, it's still really hard, and, like, I think family's the hardest thing, too, because, like, we just always have these weird, I mean, maybe not everybody struggles with codependency, but I have in my life, and so it's, like, I will be excited, and I might not, that might not get received Mm. the same way that I want it to, and, like, it stings, like, it hurts, but, like, I have to honor myself and stay true to myself and just be like look you are being you and that's all that matters you're showing up as the excited person here and even though that's not being reciprocated like that shouldn't be like don't let that diminish like how you genuinely feel and right and even though it's not being reciprocated like isn't it sort of like kind of cool that you can show up as excited like you can like feel those emotions and um I think if if we were talking about someone else, it would be really cool. But since it's like, you know, you're talking about yourself, you're like, eh. <laughs> it's yeah, fine. It's me. And, like, that's an interesting. Like, sorry, slam my, like, okay. my foot against the hardwood it. floor. Uh, but, like, it's not that, that carpet absorbing sound. <laughs> I'm sure the microphone didn't pick it up. But, like, I, I hate that it's so hard for us to celebrate who we are. I know. Like, how it's so, like, we're so quick to, like, celebrate other, we're very quick to criticize other people, and I try my best to really hold my boundaries there. I think there's room to criticize, or I think there's room to acknowledge, like, things that that don't sit well with you. Maybe not necessarily criticize, we're quick to, but in general, as a population, we're quick to do that, and we're a little less quick to celebrate. Or maybe like medium. I don't know. We just we'll get there when we get there. Right. But when it comes to us, we and I guess it's circumstance of just like kind of being with yourself all the time. You know, like your brain's analyzing what you do day in and day out, every fucking day, like every second of every day. It's there's for the most part, it's not that novel of an experience. Right. So like, if you're looking like <laughs> me, looking at you, I see you're like. If I was looking at a graph and it was like zoomed out and I saw like your January to December and you're like on an upward trajectory, I'm like, damn, your year was great. Right. Meanwhile, you're living like day one, day two, day three, all the way to 365. So it's like 
the lights barely moving. moving it's like exactly. plateauing and you're just like, what do you mean? Right. Yeah. What, what, uh, <laughs> this what, looks horrible. What better men are we talking about here? Right. Because this day to day is, is very difficult. And I think maybe that's like the room for patience where patience comes with in with ourselves. And I think if we can practice patience, I think we're better at practicing patience outwardly than we are inwardly. And if we can practice that inside, um, maybe that helps bring in like that excitement for yourself. Right. Or like that joy for yourself. Or like right. celebrating you. Um, and I've, you know, I haven't been great at that. I've been opposite of great. I've been awful at that lately. I've been like, Lisa, <laughs> you don't have a job. And honestly, because you don't have a job, everything else sucks. It doesn't matter that you you survived. Uh, you were surviving, survived, surviving. I don't even know anymore what verbiage to use for this for CF for twenty something years. It doesn't matter that you have friends or are multilingual and you are very receptive. No, none of that matters. You don't have a job, so we're well, just gonna- and see. I think that heavy goes to like what we were conditioned to believe about the importance of having a job. Mm-hmm. Like, like it sounds like either society or your parents drilled into you. Like this is what, this is what success. And this right. is what, like, yeah. I mean, the same with well mine, looks like the same, yeah. like my grandma would be like, Oh, this cousin makes a lot of money. I'm really proud of them. And I'm like, well, are they happy? Like, right. that's the question that I come back to now. Right. It's like, are you are you happy or are you content? Are you at peace? Um, because like not everybody's metric for success is ours. Just yeah. like, I mean, if your job is a metric for success for you, that's great. That's beautiful you can, for you. You can be upset with yourself. <laughs> Right. And it's like, it's like, I don't, I honestly don't think I'm, that's my metric for success. I I just don't, I don't think it's a job having like, I know at some sort of rat, both rational and both like sort of, um, sort of intuitively know that like job, my job is not there. That's not my measurement for success, but it can't also, it's hard to, it's hard to like, make this a daily practice and our moment-to-moment sure, practice and be yeah. like that's not that's not success that's not that's not success it's not going to bring you happiness it's not yes may like i i applaud you for acknowledging that you need money to survive but that's also you know that money comes and goes sure, <laughs> money comes yeah. and goes like that's like that's not a consistent Look at what else you have going on for you. Um, and I guess that's where, like, the practice of gratitude comes into play is, like, being able to wake up in the morning and, and be able to breathe easily. That's a, a, a big moment for gratitude. Um, and I think, you know, being somebody who's, like, had that, con- like, very direct and visceral contrast, yeah, like, waking up, I, you know, that's not just sort of that, like, that weird, like, frou-frou like I'm grateful for every breath like that's like I'm genuinely You're grateful living that but like I have to remind myself to do that and to practice the gratitude to practice gratitude and to like sort of do an inventory of like you know I think I don't I don't think 
a celebration of like having a roof over your head is is something that's small, you know. And it's something that we do that we like. It sounds so cliche, but it's something that we do take for granted, for sure. Um, or you know, gratitude for being able to to have friends, like to have these moments of connections, to have to. To be able to exist in the world, to have, have that opportunity to exist within within who we are, um, is not necessarily a measurement of success, but it's sort of reframing what success can look like. I think you know. I think if you, yes, I think having a job would be great, but you know, for right now, I'm sort of. I don't know if I'm in between. I'm sort of figuring things out. Um, I mean, you, you you currently have a job. Right. I mean, I have... You mean a career. A career. Yes. Okay. I think so. I was like, wait, she has a job. She's successful. And, like, that's not fair to me either or to my, like, the, the work that I put in at, at City and State, the hours that I put in there, you know, to, like, diminish that, that that's not, that's not work. Like, that's not... It's not real work. Like, it's like get your head out of your asshole. Like, you are. That is a job. And like, what's great about it is that you get to see fucking people and you get to talk about, talk to them. Um. Yeah, you got to meet that guy. He's living the dream. <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> Shout out he, to Jeff. Jeff. He comes in pretty frequently, and I ask him every day, "How are you doing?" And he goes, living the dream. And finally today, I was like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> Did his face just go like. I think he says that to all, like, whenever he walks into the shop, he, like, tells whoever's there that he's living the dream. And I think he was just kind of like, oh, she's, like, questioning. At but least he had a good answer, though. He did have a good answer. I And I, was, I, I wasn't sure what to expect. I was like, I don't know what living the dream looks like for you. Like, I, don't, I think we have different dreams. <laughs> I don't know what that looks like for you. I mean, like, maybe they're not different dreams. I spend a lot of time in coffee shops, whether or not I work at them. <laughs> so, maybe, I mean, being at a coffee shop is a dream. Um, but I, like you said, he did have a really, like, I, I resonate. I fucked with that answer. I said, <laughs> yes, yes, but it kind of, and this is something I was exploring in the car. It's the thought that I need to write about. But I love it when... I love it, and I just like have this like tendency to like, want to fight it too. When um, older folks come in into my life or like, cross paths with me, and they like want to give me sage advice about like not getting old and like bodies falling apart, and I'm like, well, let's talk about this. <laughs> like, you think you're giving me a lesson right now? And I know I have a lot to learn, and maybe like biting my ass about this later. But like, I like. <sighs> He, uh, my friend who walked in earlier this morning who was living the dream had put his mom into a nursing home and he went on to say you know like you know take advantage of your body while you're young and like you know it's working properly because later on you're gonna have people taking care of you and like as he was saying that I was just like flashback 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 of people right, taking care of me right, like, right. I'm like flashback I'm like ha if you only knew right. like there was one admission that wasn't CF related but it really took me, it really took a huge toll. It was one of the scariest admissions I've ever had. And just completely, 
completely debilitated my entire body. And um, I couldn't walk. I was in severe and immense pain. Like, I couldn't even, like, pick up this. This is a can. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. For the listeners For at the home. Listeners. I couldn't even pick this up. Like it was, it was so unbelievably painful to pick this up. Um, I, I don't even think I had the flexibility in my joints to even move that much. And so, I think that was the memory that popped up in my head when he said that. I was, it was just like, I know your intention behind saying that. I get it, but I also like know what it feels like. To, to be taken care of and for a body to degenerate. I know what it feels like for a body to degenerate before it's supposed to, before it's it's chic in vogue to. Like, you oh know, like, I, like, I, I deteriorated before it was I deteriorated cool. at 20 years old. Thank you very much. And, and then I came back again, like... <laughs> resurrected, be, bitch. Resurrected. Third time, the third <laughs> blood transfusion. Oh my god! <laughs> like I honestly, like I think about like all of this, the shit that I've gone through, and like it's heavy, yeah, but it's also fucking funny because it's like, it's like, oh my god, it's a, it's a lot of time in the hospital. It's a lot of drugs that I needed just to survive. Um, yeah, we haven't even talked about insurance. <laughs> I am so grateful I have insurance right now. Um, yeah. And I always have had, like, I've always had coverage. Thank goodness. Um, yeah, I feel like that's a whole separate. That's a whole thing. Combo. Like, <laughs> that's a whole thing. I did miss, like, I don't know what happened. I, I do know what happened. Um, I had to get, like, I, I go to, to clinic at, at Vanderbilt, and so I had to get, like, out of network pre-authorization coverage to go to Vanderbilt one clinic visit and I thought it all went through it didn't go through and so then I had like a I have it went to collections (laughs) 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 and I like look at that bill of two thousand dollars just to go to clinics what the why does this cost so much money? And then, like, I look at, like, the negotiated rates between insurance companies and, like, um, healthcare providers. And, like, you look at, like, negotiated rates and, like, the general rates for people who are, like, not insured. And you're like, oh, my God, this, like, doesn't make any sense. Like, none of this makes any sense. So if that shit cannot make sense, then my life can, like, me, my, my perception of life cannot make sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, Very true. So we're not talking about insurance. <laughs> Louise's brain will explode. Um, but yeah, I guess like to tie everything together. And I think I would be curious to know just because this has been a big theme of my life and kind of uncovering the shadows within the last year for me is... When you, at the very beginning, started talking about shame. And I think that it's something that's very heavy. And I feel like my shame purse has rocks in it. (laughs) Like big fat boulders. But (laughs) 
somehow in the last six months, I've been able to glue sequins and feathers and somehow turn this really ugly, nasty shame into something that I have somehow begun to integrate in my life and accept. And I guess I just want to know what you were talking about at the beginning and just like your thoughts on shame and yeah, yeah, all that stuff. Um, yeah, so shame, the way shame has surfaced in my, in my life, I think when I was dealing with like height of CF and like when that was very much so like teenager years, teenager, like twenties, like I think a lot of the shame that I carried was like just not being able to like meet the standards that other people were, 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 um, the standards that I, I thought everybody had to meet, you know, like, you know, things as simple as like being at school every day sure, <laughs> or sure. things like having a boyfriend or um, at, like in college, like, getting an internship and then like transitioning into a career place. Like I carried uh, a lot of shame around that because it was hard for me to meet. To, <laughs> it was really hard for me to, to meet that expectation that I imposed on myself. And I guess society sort of like generated the, the culture for it as well. Um, and so I felt I I, I didn't, ne- didn't necessarily feel the shame for being sick, but I was trying to like find like the, I don't know, like, the, like a communion between being sick and trying to meet those expectations. And, um, and when I would operate in my day-to-day, when I wasn't sick, it was very much so present, like the shame that I had for not, not, you know, having the skills or the experience required from, because I had missed so much, out on so much. And like, the, like, while I'm talking about this, like it's, I'm, I'm realizing that I'm like, I don't really think that shame has gone away. I think in a lot of senses, like I carry like the way the shame surfaces is like, through social inter- through social interactions, especially talking talking about like things like I don't know taxes. I don't. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. Like taxes, but that's or, or like living a, a living alone or like on your own. Or um, <clears throat> that's when it starts to surface. Maybe? That's when it starts to surface, or like. There are concepts of, like, being an adult that I haven't exactly, like, been able to explore on my own oh, yeah, because we I've been so sick so long. A little bit. Yeah. yeah, so, like, that's when shame starts to surface. And so, like, in this, in looking for, like, a full-time, like, job um, and career, like, that's when I'm applying and writing cover letters and trying to show off, like, who I am. Like, this shame you like fall back into that black hole. I fall into that black hole like I go back and I'm like oh I'm not good enough for this I'm not worthy enough for this because um I don't have the resp- the ex- life experience or like skills required for this and it's hard for me to cross these kind of concepts and so that's where I feel the shame the most um I don't feel a lot of times I don't feel adult enough you know and 
I can talk, like, I talked for, like, the last two hours about, like, CF and, like, how hard it's been and, like, the fun stuff, like, the silly stuff and, like, like how I can, like, I can mold all of that together um, and in a weird way make sense of it. But, and logistically speaking, you'd be like, oh, well, like, it makes sense that you don't understand concepts of like living on your own and things like that because or like, you know, you know, it makes sense that you're that like on paper quali your qualifications are like for relatively entry, entry level jobs. Like it makes sense. Like you've kind of gone through a lot for the last 28 years, you yeah. know, like you're kind of like, it makes sense. Like I give mean, yourself you some have, grace. You have like a different level of life experience that a exactly. lot of people don't have. Exactly. But it's like, it still surfaces. It's still sure, there. Of course. And like that interferes, like when you carry that shame and like you're aware of it, whether it's like you're consciously aware of it or your body's aware of it, like it interferes with the learning process altogether. Like it's like, it's like you shut down. Mm -hmm. like, I'm not good at anything. Yeah. And that's where, that's where I feel shame and in the sense, I guess, ashamed of not of me but like not I guess like not being enough and um and it sounds silly it just sounds silly like the, when I talk about it I'm like that sounds silly to me like like even if you don't even if you don't feel qualified or even if you like feel like you have a lot to learn like inevitably you're always going to have a lot to learn Louisa like <laughs> newsflash <to> like <laughs> yeah <laughs> um it doesn't sound that it sounds easier. It, theoretically, it sounds like it should be easier than, than I give myself credit for. Like, I, I should, like, allow myself the grace to be able to navigate that. But that's just not the case yeah. in real life. And, like, in, in practice, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. It's, like, it's a little bit debilitating um, in... And I think, like, I think because of, like, uh, because of CF, I, I would, you know, endeavor, like, on a new, like, project or, like, a new um, commitment to something, I inevitably would get sick at some point. And uh, either I would have to drop it all together or make, like, a lot of accommodations. So I'm like, oh, my God, like, I have never learned how to do something to completion. Oh, my God, it's so hard. <laughs> frustrating <laughs> I've never learned how to do any of this and so I guess in the back of my mind like the chatter in the back of my mind was like either you just like don't never like you just don't even try or or you're you can try but you're gonna you're not gonna succeed and um you know I see that I see it surface on a daily basis like um <clears throat> like yesterday I got a call from, I had to apply to a job at, at Luvonor, and I wasn't necessarily sure if I was going to get a call back or anything, but I did. I got a call back, and I called back to say that, like, hey, I, can't, I, I think you're not qualified for this job, but I think you should apply to another job, which was great. I was like, whoa, like, no one ever calls you back to say that you didn't get the job. Uh, they usually send you, like, a very, like, generic email, automated email. Or nothing. Or nothing at all. 
But this woman was kind and gracious enough to be like, let me see if I can get her in somewhere else. And then as she's talking on the phone, talking about the other position to apply for, she's like, I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, my God, I don't, I, this is too real for me. Like, going to a job every day, like, 8 to 5. I've never done anything like that in right. my life. Like, I'm not qualified enough for that at all. Like, <laughs> and, I, and I just feel, like, in my head, I, in, or like, in my heart and, like, in my gut, I'm like, I have this deep, dark, dirty secret where, like, I can't commit to anything. And it's really not my fault. It's my body's fault. But, like, I take it on as my own. And, like, yeah, so, yeah, I in the circumstance of yesterday like she this woman suggested that I reach out to one of my friends my dear friends to help me get an interview and um because there's a connection there and as I'm like texting this friend I'm like why am I, why am I going like why am I pursuing this <laughs> like why am I pursuing this like I don't know if I, what if I do actually get the job then what if I can't do it like I don't, it, it would be a whole new learning experience, and that's scary to me. And um, it's burdensome to carry that. It's burdensome to to question yourself so many times along the way. And it seems like a lot of people, like like our age, or I don't think they would have. I, or maybe I'm just like. I think it goes back to what you're saying. Is yeah, go ahead. They are really good at hiding it. Yeah, I think surely. I think that's what I was about to say. I think I'm romanticizing it when I say like, oh, other people will be able to do this without any problem. But me, on the other hand, I'm the exception. I am special. I will <laughs> I will be able to not do this on a special level. <laughs> like, There's your Leo coming through. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> no, but I get it. I understand. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's where my shame is. Like everything else, like, oh, me, like, I think a lot of people with CF will find shame, like, with the disease itself and, like, how it manifests and, like, how ugly it manifests. And I'm like, yeah, no, let's show all of it. Yeah, yeah, even the gross pictures. Yeah. Do I have any pictures of the mucus sputums? Let's show that one, too. Like, mucus in the description. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, and I can only imagine just, like, even just that first thought of, like, okay, I have CF. I'm not normal. Therefore, I'm not or I'm not normal enough, or I'm not worthy, or, yeah, even that, but I think it's awesome that you are willing to talk about it, and feel it, and work through it, and yeah. Yeah, um, I think, I, 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 the shame doesn't come from, like, just anywhere, it's like, it's not like, oh, magically appears, here's the shame, you know, it, like, it comes from, like, a mini, What's that in the corner? <laughs> it's kind of big, it's kind of ugly, <laughs> How did it get there? That's some shit that I haven't been cleaning. Put that back in the closet. <laughs> Put it back in the closet. Oh, no. It's resisting. It's resisting. Call somebody. <laughs> I can't do it alone. I mean, that's a personification, but that's how it's true. It's true. It's true. It's like, <laughs> and then it just like becomes like, not only like this thing in the closet, but it's like this like he lives here. He doesn't pay rent, but he lives here. <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> we feed it. Like we we feed him regularly. <laughs> Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Sometimes snack. You want red or white wine? <laughs> it's true. It's 
so true. I mean, and I think that's also an interesting but important point of like, I don't know that the shame is going anywhere. So how do we how do live we, with yeah, it live and with integrate? It. Like, right. Like bring it in. Like, for, like you were saying for the glass of wine, like, okay, like here you are, like, you're, let me get a look at you. Let me get you a look at you. <laughs> well, you ain't that bad. Kind of cute. <laughs> I would date you if it wasn't. <laughs> if you weren't Just me. don't ask me who am I. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only thing that's off limits. Don't ask me who I am. <laughs> I will go into a catatonic we state. We don't talk about identity. We don't talk about identity here. Here, identity fluctuates. It's it's a free-for-all, you know. We don't talk about that, but we can talk about anything else, I promise you. Is it going to be linear? Fuck no. <laughs> There's no linear. Like, there, no, it's not going to happen. So get yourself comfortable. Get some wine. Um, and we're going to talk about why you're here, Shane. Like, we're going to talk about it. We're going to work through it. And maybe... Both of us will come out looking a little bit better because you look like a fucking wreck. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's so important because I like lost my train of Knowing I think for me, knowing where my shame kind of started, lives, helps me to not be so afraid of it. Mm-hmm. Helps me to be willing to kind of go there. And also, like, not let it hold me back anymore. Right. Um, I think, like, and, like, in theory, I'm a big, like, proponent, I guess, of, like, making friends with, like, things about you that you just aren't comfortable with, you know? Like, like you know, creating some sort of, like, lines of communication with, like, those parts of you who you hide and, like, you don't want to deal with or you just, which is shame. Um, and... But in practice, like in my day to day, like I'm, as I'm, I'm making a lot of realizations here with Madeline. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> um, in practice, it's like ah, let me let me try to hide you, and not deal with you, like, and not know why I'm like anxious as hell about applying to a job or like having a job interview and or or and being and sort of sort of adult, whatever the hell that means. And so for me, that looks like bringing that shame to the table, giving giving it a glass of wine and like asking like why are you why are you here like how, what's your story like where did mm-hmm. you come from yeah um oh yeah that's what i was thinking yeah. like it just wants to be seen to be seen to be seen to be acknowledged you know like for me like as i think about like where that shame comes from it's it it, it comes from you know having been having been sick and and not having been um I think a big thing is like follow through. Follow through for me is just like what's the completion? What does that mean? Like nothing is ever complete. So why even start? Like nothing is real. Nothing is real. So <laughs> that's I guess that's where my shame sort of it started small, but like the more that ha- that happened to me, the, the bigger it got, and like the stronger willpower it had over like my intent to follow through with something or how that went um and yeah it's uh something that I I I have to work on I have to like approach like that shame and like the sadness that it brings like this like the sad like I guess like when you open that up 
and you have to like think about where it came from. Like, how were you born? It's born from like really sad stuff, like really hard. Like I didn't meet status quo somewhere at one point in my life, and or many points in my life, and that made me feel that made me feel less than. I didn't. That made me feel less than. That made me feel that I could never like be normal or like. So yeah, I guess it makes sense that I just like I don't that I haven't approached it or forgot to to deal with it. And I think I mean, it's heavy. We don't want to. It's uncomfortable. And I love to talk about talking about. I love to talk about being uncomfortable. But I miss some stuff. You know, I miss the shame. Like I miss like, like when you first asked me that question, I was like, "What shame?" <laughs> and I was then I was like. So you had like a fucking panic attack yesterday because like because of this whole like job thing. Why do you think you had a panic attack? Like why the hell do you actually think about that? Um Yeah, and and I don't I don't think it's just like related to jobs either. I think there are other like places it surface it it rears its head and and, and tells you that you're not good enough and that you're not worthy enough and by god damn it, theoretically I should be like yeah, sure. That's like also that could be true, but like let's try it anyways. Like even if it doesn't work out, anymore, let's just try. But it's paralyzing. Like it's like you physically, like it's in, you know, for as much rationality and as much like you mentally prep yourself, like physically, like emotions will can grip you. You know, like they can physically hold you back. And I've had to learn like like talking about shame and talking about anxiety and talking about this like. Um, that was very hard for me to be able to, to differentiate between like what was anxiety and what was my, what is my disease like where's the line between like which am I sick or am I anxious am I am I on the verge of an exacerbation or am I on the verge of you know spiraling into shame and like I can't get out of the bed and that's something that I was I was never taught that um that uh, anxiety or depression and, and and shame can manifest physically. Like I was never yeah. taught that that's what it was. Uh, that could that that could be a a way that it's showing up. <clears throat> and it t- I mean, it took me a while to be able to, and it's still kind of well. Now it's not that fuzzy. Now I know that it's more than likely like depression that's showing up and not me being sick. But beforehand, I really had to sit and think. I was like, is this um, me having anxiety or depression or shame? Or is this me like actually sick? And a lot of times they would just all coincide at once. Like if yeah. one was triggered, it would trigger the other one. And yeah. Like, if I was depressed, then that was going to dep- that was going to trigger an exacerbation. Or if an exacer- I had an exacerbation, it was going to trigger trigger depression. I think the first time that I sort of, like, was able to see it was when Aaron died. When Aaron died, I, I, I checked out. I was like, bye. Like, this is, this is a lot for me to handle. So I just, like, just sort of sat in bed for, for days, and finally I got sick. Like, that much, like, that much sedentariness definitely like contributed to an exacerbation I was admitted to the hospital and like when I was admitted to the hospital I was like ah validation like this all makes sense now like 
I'm sick. I'm just sick. Right. And it wasn't, it, I think it was right after like that whole that phase that I was able to say, oh, okay, what happened here was you had a traumatic life experience. You went into a deep depression. Um, and because of the deep depression and the, like, the inherent like nature of being sedentary, that made you sick. And um, so they all just sort of coincide and they feed off of each other. Um, and that wasn't... It was nice to have that awareness, um, but it was it was a while before I was able to like do something about it. And I don't know if, if acting proactively would be the right word, but like being aware that like there's a definite like inner exchange between like the brain and the body and the emotions, like well between the brain and the emotions and the body. Like, there's definitely like a an interplay, and it's constant. Um, and I, I think I had to like. It was me talking about it and writing about it, and seeing that it resonated with other people in the CF community. That I was like, oh, okay, so this is an actual thing. But it were it would have been nice if like my doctors or like my care team or even therapists would have been able to like validate like, yeah, like the brain and the body are connected. Well, and I feel like that might be like a, I mean, I know, I think Eastern philosophy has always believed that, but maybe something that like our Western society hasn't really until recently. So I'm sure like, they're like, oh, well, there's no science. So there's no, there's no like data to back up. Where's the data? Like the data, the data, where is it to back up? Like these findings. I remember I was 16 and I was in the hospital <laughs> and I was depressed. And um, I had my, pulmono- my pulmonologist at that time, or one of the pulmonologists in the community, came in and like sat in like one of the chairs next to my bed. And he was like, I guess, playing psychiatrist that day. I have no fucking clue. And just like trying to like understand like, what's going on in your head? And um, he was like, all right, well, well, we'll actually bring in a psychiatrist. And so they did. Like a pediatric psychiatrist who was doing his fellowship came in. And um, he is, this guy was like stumped. Like, why are you like, so sad and depressed? And I just, like, I can't, under, I can't like understand how, for so many like people, like folks in in my care team, or like who see like the circumstance of like children and young adults and adoles- adolescents living with CF, how they can't like make the connection between like why depression would surface and while well, living with like a chronic disease like cystic fibrosis. Like I don't, I don't, I don't know why they they were stumped. You know, they, like, can you do some, like, reflection and, like, think where you were when you were 16 and sort of, like, be able to compare, like, make it do comparative analysis? Like, oh, wow, when I was 16 years old, I was, like, able to do, like, get up. I didn't even know what a hospital looked like. Yeah, I think it makes sense. Um, I remember through pediatric care, 
a lot of patients like would be uh, wouldn't do their treatments. They would they would they would neglect have there's a lot of uh, treatment negligence. Like that's normal for adolescent. That was normal for is normal for people with CF uh, going through adolescence to develop. What is it called when you're like a teenager and you're like rebel rebel <laughs> rebellious stage? <laughs> like I don't under and and I remember my pulmonologist. Like I was a star patient and I really like was proud of that. <laughs> and my oh, pulmonologist yeah. would come in and he would like he would like he wouldn't violate HIPAA but violate. He wouldn't violate HIPAA laws, but like he would like share, like, "Hey, like, how do we help these patients?" I just don't understand. Um, and I guess at that point, I was trying to like live up to the expectations of being a star patient and be like, "Well, I don't understand either. They're not doing their treatments. <laughs> Scum." <laughs> but in retrospect, as a twenty-eight-year-old, they can be like, "No fucking shit. They need therapy. <laughs> like, they need therapy. They need to process this. They need to like. This is a really big thing. We can't pretend." we can't pretend that just because we've been living with this like our entire lives that it doesn't affect our mental health. Like it doesn't affect like how we see the world. Like it makes sense. Like if you were to tell a freaking eight year old that their life expectancy is 28 to 32 years old, as they grow up and develop into an adolescent, do you think that it like there's any inclination to like want to do better? Like to like, why would there be? You've get you've given them a, a an expiration date, mm-hmm. so it makes sense. I, I don't want to like suggest like this is how you should think, but it just makes sense that like yeah, I'm gonna die when I'm you know somewhere like at 32 years old. So why does it matter? Like, like well, it's not like kids really have like rational thought <clears throat> developed at that age either to right. be like oh well maybe I can, you know, make the most of it, right? Or like. I'm going to try really hard and like, well, I don't know. Like, I think that was my, my frame of thought was like, I think my frame of thought for a long time was like, I was never defiant with my treatments. And part of that was because of my, my mom. But another part of it was like, I was definitely afraid of being, you know, dying. Um, but like an, a huge part of it was like, fuck, sh- fuck that shit. I'm going to figure this out. Like, I'm going to figure out how to stay alive longer. I am, I am, we're going to, I don't know what it looks like, but we're going to, we're going to do it. You know, I'm going to exceed expectations. <laughs> yes. And like, I was star patient, <laughs> star patient. And I was like completely in complete denial. Like a lot of my friends will be like, yeah, I remember when I found out like people would like diet at 32. I remember the first time I, I, I realized that. And I was like, in my head, that was like never a realization. In my head, it was like that's interesting. That's an interesting fact. But I, <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting fact. But like that's not gonna. That doesn't apply to me. At least that's what I was thinking at a conscious level. But I think the way I behaved and how neurotic I was about doing treatments and like trying to not to not to die was like, or trying to stay. I think I would have framed it then like trying to stay alive was like me just deathly afraid of like that life yeah. expectancy. I was like, oh, okay. But all of that to say, like, we were initially talking about shame and the shame sort of like, you know, it, the mental health in the little kids, the mental health in the little kids. I think a lot of that shame was like developed as a little kid. Yeah. So 
I, I think, it, well, what I'm saying is, like, I think that shame probably was developed um, probably when I was when I was 12, 13 years old. Like, a lot of the shame that I have from, like, constantly getting sick. And then, like, the way I cope with getting sick was, like, I would get, <laughs> like, I would get depressed. And then I think that compounded upon, like, the already pre-existing shame <laughs> that was there. And I don't know. I, I think <clears throat> altogether, like, I don't think there was, like, a lot of resources for me to, like, reach out to and, like, have access to um, to navigate, like, my mental health and to navigate, like, hey, like, the idea of success is going to look different for you um, and everybody else. Um, like all of that looks different based on who you are. Um, I didn't have really any of that concept. Like I couldn't con like conceptualize that. Um, so I just, and then like, I guess unintentionally like developed like ah, I'm not good enough because I'm getting sick, and then they're questioning why I'm depressed. I'm keep getting sick and so I'm even more like shameful because I'm depressed right, because I'm not coping yeah. with this disease the right way and like what the actual fuck I don't know if nobody ever questioned nobody ever said that to me but like I felt like I wasn't like do I there have been very many times in my life where I'm like I'm not coping with CF the right way right which is so crazy uh which in hindsight I'm like, that's kind of crazy but it wasn't crazy at the moment. I was like, I don't know how to do this. Um, and newsflash, baby Louisa, if you're listening, um, there is no like, there is no uh, guidebook on how to do it. Like, there's no guidebook on how to like live with a chronic illness at a young age, and um, there's no guidebook and how to manual like to cope with those big emotions that most of the people who surround you just have never experienced. Right. And there's a lot to save, like, you yourself, like, and what you're, you can generate on your own. Like, there's a lot to, like, save for, like, how, what feels most intuitive to you in, in coping with it. What feels right for you. And for me, that was talking about it here i am <laughs> so i feel a children's book coming on there is a children's book coming on i think Are you i, I got to make one is that what you're saying it keeps coming up <gasps> it keeps coming up in my head like this idea of doing a children's book for people with, like for kids with chronic illnesses i mean just hearing you talk about it like that sounds like I think a big thing that I've been learning is like, what did you need that you didn't have? And so I've been trying to think about like, in terms of like purpose and like giving back. And so like, I mean, when you were saying that, that's what I was thinking of. Like, right. Like I wish somebody would have said, Hey, like depression is okay. Like, Hey, like all of these big emotions are okay. You know, like, I don't want to like, I don't know how you write it, like a children's book. And like, like the way I would, if I, maybe like a, a teenager a book. A teenager book. <laughs> well, no, I think that, um, I don't want to. Like a chicken soup book. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. 
want to write a children's book. And I really, really, I don't know, maybe I was just like a deep child and like sad and depressed deep child. Maybe that was just who I was. But I think there is room to like create, to to frame it within language that children use, like to frame mental health. Yeah. Frame mental health and frame like chronic illness in a way that's accessible for kids and that isn't like super overwhelming. Um, but, you know, I just start working on what that story would look like and the only thing I can think of right now is like who's gonna and <laughs> how is what are the the um illustrations gonna look like looking at the snail right now <laughs> lighting. just say of- shame sit down I'm not talking to you right now <laughs> oh god well all great things start as a baby idea so they do this could just be the very, very beginning. You know, like, you're bringing up the children's book, and I told I told Tess Colasar and Caitlin Coney, like, in January that I was going to write a children's book. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. This is your confirmation. They're like, and I'm like, ah, oh, shit, I actually have to do it. It goes back to the shame, like, like the, the fear and the shame that I have surrounding, like, follow through. I'm like, and the completion. And the completion, yeah. like, or, like, in the how to do it. Like, how do I do this? How do I write a children's book? How do I, like, talk about this kind of stuff? I don't know. To be, to be, to to be found out. <laughs> in bookstores near you. <laughs> no, I think that's great. I think this is a very important conversation just now that as mental health is becoming more, like, prevalent and, like, people are willing to talk about it. I mean, I don't know, starting it early, like, because right. kids go through shit, too. I mean, I think, yeah, I think that's where a lot of our feel irrational feelings start yeah I think and they're... then we grow up as adults like i don't know what this i don't means. know i'm fucked up <laughs> where did it right? come from and it's like between the ages of two and four like that's when all of like all of your i don't know they where... do say yeah. i think like probably up until a lot of people say up to the age of seven and then someone said i think and i don't know the exact science but like basically from zero to I don't know 13 is yeah. like when all of your beliefs get formed that and i think i've read that as well i've read that as well like that's the the years of formulation of like where you where you start like framing your your perspective and like what you think and what you believe and that's a and then when you're like when you're older and you're trying to figure out like what the hell's wrong with me like why am I so, <laughs> am I so depressed why am I so sad why do I feel humiliated at little things and you're, it comes from those like early years and our parents not really knowing how to do what to do with us and them not having a guidebook <laughs> that's a second right, book right and I think yeah we just have to accept that there is no guidebook ever ever. Right, and then if there is a guidebook, that shit goes out the fucking window, like, on day two, because there's something new that comes up. True. Well, and I think it's important, like, I think only we know how to author our lives. Like, I can't tell you how to live your your life, Mm -hmm. and then your frame of reference is completely different from mine. Exactly. That's what I'm learning, too, just, like, there is no guidebook, and I have to be okay with that, and I have to be confident enough to write my own. Right. Live my life my own way right and like make room for flexibility with your guide with the way you've written your guidebook and yeah like it's not like something you have to adhere to to the t Mm -hmm. because 
we're human and mistakes are real. Right. And every day is, is something different. Like every day is, is a new situation. And, you know, when you said, you know, you can't tell me, like, you can't tell me what to do, Madeline. <laughs> <laughs> when oh, you I... said that, like, it kind of goes back to, like, um, I was thinking to myself, like, ah, interesting. So, um, we, and I think I still do this, like, we look outwards for, like, guidance and, like, whether that's, like, through religion or through different sort of, like, practices, like, uh, spiritual practices or, like, or little books on how-to guide, little how-to guides. We Don't adopt talk those. about my self-help show. <laughs> but, like, we adopt those, um, we adopt those, uh, those, those expectations now. And when we were little, we adopted them. Like, oh, this is how you do life. Like, I think if we were to, if I were to make, a, like, a how-to manual on existing, it could be detrimental to other people. Because, like, how I, my how-to, my flexible how-to book is not going to be, somebody else's like it's just not gonna work for somebody else and either they throw it away which they should because my how-to book is not for you it either they throw it away or they adopt it and they're like it's like living a fish out of water like you're you're you can't survive on 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 my lived experiences they're like you can't survive living you you can't live your life based on the what works for me that's just not how it works my hypertonic saline 7% is not going to be beneficial to you. So if you wouldn't use my medicine, like why would you use like my medicine for my, my, like my therapy, like the way I cope day in and day out, you know? Yeah. My guidebook. One, I think I've been thinking about that too. Like I think truth is unique to you. Like I think that my greatest wisdom I can give to another person is telling you to trust yourself right. and to write your own guidebook right because i know that i have been trying to going back to the chameleon do things according to what other people said and other people's expectations and like that just hasn't worked yeah it's proven ineffective ineffective and detrimental <laughs> the placebo <laughs> you got worse than the placebo the placebo does nothing <laughs> whatever you're taking is just like uh, what is it? Oh, it has adverse side effects, you know, like does more harm than good. <laughs> Potentially does more harm than yeah, good. I don't know what that's called, but there, there is like poison, poison. It's poison. It's Drugs. Long, long-term poison. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Louisa, for taking time to share your story, to share these life nuggets of wisdom to be open and vulnerable about your journey and your shame and still be fucking cool so i'm super glad to have you thank you madeline for calling me and for inviting <laughs> me on and we can and having these conversations going back and forth this whole conversation is giving me a lot to to sit with and to <laughs> to figure out later on well, hopefully it resonates with others whether they live with rare diseases or are fortunate to have able bodies but i think a lot of this information is important and still relevant right regardless of whether or not we regardless of whether or not your body is in the space of being able-bodied or not you know hopefully something's that if not you can throw it all away i don't know (laughs) 
You could just press next. Press <laughs> next. Like, what was it like when I was growing up? My my aunts would tell me like, take what works, and if not, just throw it all away. <laughs> like, okay, that's that's what I tell whoever's listening. Take what works, and if what nothing works, just throw it all away. I don't know. Press next. Hell yeah. All right. Well, don't forget to live the dream. Live the dream. <laughs> I'm going to change my Instagram handle to live in the dream. Your bio. Live in the, <laughs> live in the dream, Louisa. <laughs> well, that's yeah, that's what I'm going to do. We will catch you next time. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you later. Bye. If you'd like access to more podcasts and a postcard each month, check us out on patreon.com slash embrace madness.